You know a good song leader who uh, doesn't just come in here and flip open some pages and choose some songs to sing, but spend some time preparing and and, uh, picking them out. A man who can sing as well is worth his weight in gold. Sean, I thank you. That song service was special. It prepared my heart to preach, I hope. I hope it prepared your heart to worship. If you would, open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, this will serve as our text this evening. I had started working on a message from Genesis on Joseph, and I decided to, to hold, uh, hold that back till Sunday. I'll bring it Sunday and uh, preach that message in conjunction with the Lord's table on Sunday. So tonight we'll look here at a passage in 2 Timothy. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee, by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now hold fast the form of sound words which thou have heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy, reverent, is thy matchless name. And Lord, we are so thankful that sinful men and women such as we are can come before your throne of grace crying, Abba, Father. What a blessing to be able to call the God of heaven and earth our Father. Lord, how we thank you for your love for sinners, that you would choose to save sinners and to adopt them into thy family, make them sons and daughters of the King. And that you would tell us to, at all time, at any time, to come boldly 
confidently in Christ before your throne of grace, seeking mercy and grace to help in time of need. Father, how we thank you. And Father, how I beg of thee that you would bless us in this hour as we look into your word. Father, I pray you'd cause the name of your son to be glorified and magnified. And as you'd cause the gospel of your dear son that tells who he is, that tells what he's like, tells what he's done, tells us why he's done it, and where he is now. Father, you'd cause that message to reach each heart here to comfort, to encourage, to give life, to save. Father, use this message to cause us to look to Christ and Christ alone. Father, we thank you for this place. How thankful we are that you've given us a, a place where we can gather together out of the world, especially in the middle of the week like we are right now, to have a refreshing from your word. Father, we're thankful. Pray that you preserve and protect this place. For our sake and for our children's sake, for the sake of our community. Father, for thy great name's sake, preserve this place as a place where the gospel of your son is preached. And Father, we pray for your people that you brought in the time of trouble and trial. We know that, that there are many. Your people, Father, you've been so merciful, you've been so gracious, you've given us everything. In Christ our Savior, yet in this flesh we are a poor, 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 needy people. Father, we pray you comfort the hearts of your people. That you'd be pleased to heal, deliver. Father, that you'd work in a mighty way, we pray. And Father, all these things we ask, and that name which is above every name, is for his sake, his glory, we pray. Amen. Now I'll tell you where the... This message started working in my mind and my heart a few weeks ago. I was talking to my one of my friends, my dear friends, about the gospel. We talked about the gospel. We talked about this, this passage here. And this is what us two great theologians concluded. That any message that does not fit this form, this pattern that Paul Paul lays out here, the pattern of the gospel, any any message that doesn't that doesn't fit in that form. It's like you make, uh, Earl, you've done it, made those forms for cement, poured cement in there. Well, anything that doesn't fit in that form is not the gospel. And we took that from, from verse 13 here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Hold fast the form, this form, this pattern of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Any, any man preaching the gospel, his message will always fit into this form, this pattern that the apostle preached. And I want us to look at that message for a few minutes this evening. I, I titled the message, The Testimony of the Lord. Paul says in verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. A lot of people think that this gives us some insight to Timothy's personality. He was a somewhat timid man, maybe. And Paul tells him, now don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And the testimony of the Lord is the gospel. That's why I read that, that passage there in, in John, where John the Baptist talked about the testimony of the Lord. He's declaring himself, and he said, anybody believes that, 
has eternal life. Anybody doesn't believe that is, is, is condemned. The testimony of the Lord is the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ came in the, in the flesh and he gave testimony to how God saves sinners. Now Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of that gospel. Our gospel is the witness of Christ himself. You think of that. The gospel is a testimony that tells us who Christ is and how he saves sinners and it's his own personal testimony. It's like he's testifying in court. It's his testimony to us. This is the gospel. The testimony of our Lord tells us who Christ is. It's about him. It tells us about his person. It doesn't talk about our righteousness. It talks about his righteousness. It talks about how he successfully suffered for sin. The death which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The testimony of our Lord tells about his intercession for his people. That he ever lives making intercession for us. By pleading his sacrifice. It tells of his return. One day he's coming again. To gather his people to himself. It tells about his eternal kingship. Now that is a glorious testimony. Isn't it? And every bit of it is about Christ. That's what makes it. So glorious and so wonderful. That's why there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Because it's all about Christ. The testimony of our Lord is the gospel of peace. The gospel tells sinners like you and me how we can have peace with God. That's glorious. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. And I understand why Paul is, is telling Timothy this. It's because the natural man hates the gospel of Christ. They hate it so much, they put Paul in prison. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy from, from prison for no other reason than he preached the gospel. That he just repeated this testimony of the Lord. Now don't let man's hatred of the gospel make you ashamed of publicly saying that you believe it. Whatever it is the natural man hates, pretty good idea we ought to start loving it. <laughs> just pretty good. That's pretty good rule of thumb. How could we ever be ashamed of the Savior who gave himself for us to die in our place so that we could live? <laughs> no, we can't be ashamed of that message. See, this gospel, this testimony of the Lord, it's the only way we can know Christ. And this message, the message of the gospel, the testimony of our Lord, it's the one and only message God uses to save his people. It's the only message that God uses to, to reveal Christ. Now this is just kind of simple logic. If you would know Christ, somebody's got to preach Him. You can't know Christ by somebody preaching something else. you got to know Christ. Somebody's got to preach Him. And I'll tell you why this is so important. To hear and believe the testimony of our Lord. Because the one and only way we'll have eternal life is to know Christ. It's to know Him. Now don't you reckon that the best way for you and me to know Christ is to hear His own testimony? I believe that's the best way to, to come to know Him. And that's why I want to preach tonight. Now what is the testimony of our Lord? It's so important that we hear it and we believe it. Well, what is it? What does this mean, the testimony of the Lord? What's well, described in our text? First, the testimony of our Lord is salvation is eternal. Verse 9, Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony 
of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now here's the testimony of our Lord, who hath saved us. Who hath saved us. Now that's past tense. Not who will save us. Not who will save us if we do something right. Who hath already saved us. That's past tense. Well, how far past tense is it? Is, is it past tense to, to when I made a decision? No, you got to go further back than that. you got to go all the way back into eternity before creation. Paul says this was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. Before anything was created. Now, sounds like Paul's making it sound like that God's elect have always been justified. Well, it sounds that way because it's true. God's elect have always been justified. That's the doctrine of eternal justification. In the mind and purpose of God, this thing of redemption, justification, sanctification, it happened before God ever created anything. See, it was God's purpose to save his people from their sin, to justify them, make them without sin by the doing and dying of his son. Now, that's God's purpose. Now, Charlie, God's purpose is going to come to pass. You know how I know that? Because God's God. That's how I know that. So God's purpose is just as sure as a past act of God. God cannot change. So if he, in his mind, he justified his people in the sacrifice of his son, they've always been justified. God can't look at somebody who's unjustified now and justified later. No, they've always been justified. They've been justified in the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, salvation is eternal. I'd love to say that. I'd love to think about that. If salvation is eternal, old Frank can't mess it up. And I would if I could. So I love to hear that salvation is eternal. And if you think about it for two seconds, salvation has to be eternal, doesn't it? Because God's eternal. Who does Paul say did the saving here? God. He hath saved us. God saved us. We're not saved if we uh, come to the, to the right knowledge of the five points of Calvinism. We're not saved if uh, we live the right moral life. We're not saved if we make a decision for Jesus. We're not saved if, if we walk an aisle and are baptized. He saved us. And he did it all by himself. See, salvation is something that's already been done by God. And here's the evidence of it. God created Adam, put him in a perfect garden. And Adam sinned. Now when Adam sinned, he sinned against God. He sinned in open rebellion against God. Adam didn't make a mistake. Adam sinned in open rebellion against God. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why didn't God destroy the whole human race at that time? Why didn't he just wipe out Adam and start over again with somebody else? It's because there is a people who are in Adam. A people who would descend someday from Adam who have already been justified in Christ. They were justified long before Adam fell. 
That's why God didn't destroy Adam. It was impossible for those people to be destroyed. Impossible. They must be born. They must hear the gospel. They must be given faith in Christ because that's God's purpose. He couldn't destroy the first man because all of God's elect are going to come from him. They're already justified. See, before there was a sinner, there was a Savior who had saved his people from their sins. This is the testimony of the Lord. Salvation's eternal. Salvation's eternal. Second, the testimony of the Lord is this, that God is sovereign in salvation. Paul says in verse 9, who has saved us? Us. Now God saved a people. God chose a people to save in divine election. And many, many times in Scripture, they're called us. Us. They're the us. All that the Father gave the Son to save. If you look back in Ephesians chapter 1, here's a, here's a real good example of that, that, that the us, that's God's elect. He has saved us. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, he hasn't blessed everybody with those spiritual blessings, has he? He's talking about somebody in specific here. It's us. He blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, when he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now the us and the we there, you know who that is? That's God's elect. The ones that he chose to save. And he didn't choose them because they were going to do something good. Paul makes it obvious. So plain, he said it's according to his good pleasure. According to the pleasure of his will. God did it, chose a people just because he would. It's all because of God. I tell you the two examples as I thought about this this week that, that stood out to me in Scripture are Jacob and Esau and Moses and Pharaoh. Now, what made the difference between those men? Jacob and Esau. God chose one and passed the other by. He loved one, hated the other. What's the difference between Moses and Pharaoh? God's purpose. God raised one up to be a, a vessel of mercy and he used the other to be a vessel of wrath to get glory, his glory to himself when he destroyed him. The difference is God's choosing. That's the difference. God chose a people to save and God saved those people by his divine power. By power that the almighty God, only he has, he used that power to put the sin of his people away. I tell you, it's a good thing. Because if salvation were left up to you and me, none of us would be saved. Because we're powerless. We're spiritually powerless. We, we're dead. That means we can't do anything good spiritually. But God in his sovereign power 
did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He saved us. He saved a specific people and every last one of them who can be glorified. All right, number three, the testimony of the Lord is this. The salvation that God purposed in eternity, He accomplished in time. Verse 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, now this is made manifest. And it's made manifest. It's made obvious. It's made visible by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, God's purpose never did change. God's purpose was always to save a people in His Son. But that purpose was hidden in the Old Testament types and pictures and shadows of the Old Testament. It was always God's purpose to save his people by the obedience of Christ, not theirs. It was always his purpose to, to put away the sin of his people by the sacrifice of his Christ, of his son, not the sacrifice of some animal. That was always God's purpose. But we couldn't see it. It wasn't made plain, was it? Because it was hidden in the types and pictures. God's purpose of salvation became crystal clear when Christ came. And when Christ came, we say, oh, now I see. That's what our Lord did for his disciples after his resurrection. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And the only scriptures in existence at that time were the Old Testament scriptures. He showed them how the Moses and the law and the prophets and David, they all wrote of him. Now they understand. The only way we can see that is by seeing Christ. Seeing his perfect obedience under the law. Seeing his death as a sacrifice for our sins. Seeing his resurrection. Seeing his glorification. When we see that, when we see Christ, we, now I see. Now that Christ has come, it's obvious to me. Righteousness doesn't come by my obedience to the law. It's his. He obeyed the law. Now that Christ has come, it's obvious Duh, I should have always known this. Sin's not put away by the blood of animals and animal sacrifices. It's put away by the precious blood of Christ. Now I see. Now it's obvious to me that rest is not found in a Sabbath day. Rest is found in Christ my Sabbath. He's my rest. Now I see. When Christ came, he made everything obvious. There's death in Adam and there's life in him. That's obvious to you if you see him. And when Christ came, he undid for his people everything Adam did to him. Only better. See, Adam made his people guilty. Christ made his people not guilty. He made them righteous, and they can never make themselves guilty again. Never. Adam brought death on all men. Christ came, you know, he gave his people eternal life. Now, if it's eternal, it can't be lost. If something has eternal life, it's never going to die. See, what Christ did for his people, way better than what Adam did, isn't it? Christ destroyed death by destroying the sin of his people. It's sin that causes death. When sin's gone, there can't be any more death. That's how Christ put away death for his people. The Father made his son sin. For his people. Christ took the sin of his people. And he made it his. He became guilty of it. 
And he put all of that sin away by his sacrifice on the tree. He died for that sin and his precious blood removed that sin forever. It made it to not exist. So that the father says, I don't see it. Now, Bob, if the father doesn't see it, it's not there. That's how effectual the blood of Christ is. Christ made it so his people can never die because he took their sin away. Now, whoever it is that Christ died for, they have eternal life. They have it. And that's obvious to us if we see Christ. The death of Christ made God's justice work for his people instead of against them. You know, we're all afraid of God's justice against our sin. We know what we deserve. But when Christ died as a substitute for his people, God's justice was satisfied. God said, the Father said, it's enough. Justice is satisfied. Well, now that justice is satisfied because of the death of Christ, now God's justice demands God's elect live. It demands it. They must live because they already died in Christ our substitute. And the only thing the death of our bodies is going to do is usher us from here. This world of sin, this body of sin, this world that's polluted with sin, to take us to be in the presence of our Savior eternally. Now that's obvious to you if you see Christ. It's all it's made obvious in the end. All right, number four. The testimony of the Lord is this. That God's salvation is applied to the hearts of his people by preaching. The preaching of the gospel. Verse 11 in our text says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now Paul says God saved us and he called us. The Father chose a people to save. The Son came and he died for those people. He lived and he died for those people to redeem them from their sin. Well then God the Holy Spirit comes and he calls those people to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. The way God lets his people in on what he's already done for them is the preaching of the gospel. Now look at uh, John chapter 17. Salvation is to know Christ. John 17 verse 3. Our Lord says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It life eternal is to know God, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. How am I ever going to come to know Christ? Not the Christ of my imagination, the true God, the, the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. How am I ever going to come to know him? It's through the preaching of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 10. The only way we're ever going to come to know who Christ is and to, to know why it is I believe on him is somebody's got to preach him. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in him in whom they not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they not heard? If you never heard somebody, you can't believe him, can you? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings 
of good things. Here's how we come to know Christ, to believe on him. It's by hearing Christ preached. Now that's just so obvious. The only way you're going to come to love somebody is hearing about them. you got to get to know them. The way we know who Christ is is hearing his gospel preached. Now, could God save his people without them ever hearing the gospel? Could he just supernaturally, without them ever hearing the gospel, without them ever hearing about the Bible, without them ever opening the Bible, could God just put that saving knowledge and faith in their heart and their head? Absolutely he could. Sure he could. But he's not going to do it. (laughs) He's not going to do it. He's going to reveal himself to his people through preaching. God could, he could reveal himself to you when you're just sitting there reading the scripture. Maybe you're reading one of the the messages of the apostles or you're reading some of these Old Testament types and pictures and you're reading the scripture. God could reveal himself to you, but more than likely he's not going to do it. Because more than likely what's going to happen when you're reading the scripture is you're going to be just like the Ethiopian eunuch and you're going to say, how can I understand what's being said here except some man guide me? And if you're wondering, how am I going to understand this except some man guide me? God's going to send you a preacher to guide you. And I'll tell you where he'll guide you. He'll guide you to Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 1. He's going to come and preach Christ to you. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. So it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, unto the religious, that's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, unto the wise of the world, it's foolishness. But unto them which are called, unto the us, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, how, how are these people called? How is Christ revealed to them? By the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of Christ. And back in our text in verse 9, Paul says this call of the gospel, it's a holy calling. It's a call to holiness. To holiness in Christ. The gospel is the declaration that sinners are made holy in Christ. This is not a holy calling telling you, no, you better start living holy. The gospel tells you you're holy in Christ. It's, it's de- it declares him. It tells us we're justified in Christ because he took our sin away. We're sanctified in Christ because he gave us a new holy nature in the new birth. The call of the gospel, it's a holy call. It's a call away from self. It's a call away from anything about self. It's a call away from anything that we do. And it's a call to trust Christ to be our all. Now that's a holy calling. To trust Christ. And you know full well, no man is sufficient for these things. I don't think about preaching or read about preaching in the scriptures very long at all. For I'm reminded of that. No man is sufficient for these things. No man is sufficient for preaching these things. No man can do it of his own, under his own steam. But you know what else? Nobody's sufficient to hear and believe these things under their own steam either. <laughs> now I covet your prayers as I study and prepare and preach because I'm not sufficient. 
And I tell you what I do for you. I pray for you too. Because I know this. No man's sufficient to hear either. Unless God gives him ears to hear. Faith to believe. And you know, when we each understand this, we all understand it. None of us are sufficient. That'll give us a pretty good reason to pray for one another, won't it? Understanding none of us are sufficient. I just, I just um, am very thankful to find out God's put it on the hearts of His people to pray for one another. I think that's an effect of the gospel. It'd be mighty good for us to pray about the preaching and hearing of the gospel here in this place, in our town, to our family, to our loved ones, to those that we care about. Because this is the testimony of the Lord. If God's going to save us, it's going to be by the preaching of Christ. That's His testimony. Here's the fifth thing. The testimony of the Lord declares that salvation is by the will of God. He saved us, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Now look at Romans chapter 9. Salvation has to be by the will of somebody, doesn't it? Has to be by somebody's will. Well, that someone's not man. That someone is God. And Paul tells us this, Romans 9 verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy. See, this is God's will. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it's not of him that runneth, it's not of the man that willeth, it's not of him that runneth, but it's of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose if I raise thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy, on whom he will have mercy. And whom he will, he hardeneth. Now, Salvation is by the will of God. Whoever he wills to have mercy on, he'll show him mercy. And whoever he wills, he hardens. That, that's God's will. That can't make any difference. Like I said a little bit ago, who made the difference between Moses and Pharaoh? God did. It's by the will of God. Now here's what these verses mean to us. He just, just apply them to us chickens right here. This is what this means. You and I can't decide to get saved. We can't do it. I don't want to be overly picky, you know, about words and stuff, but I hear about someone saying, well, I, get, I got saved, and somebody congratulates them. Well, why are you congratulating? What do they do? You know, Salvation is not by our will. We can't decide to get saved. Man can't decide to let Jesus into his heart. I mean, if I can decide to let Jesus into my heart, I can decide to keep him out too. Now, what kind of what kind of God is that if I can decide to keep him out? I love what Brother Fortner used to say. If God decides he's coming into your heart, he's removing the door, bar and bolt, and he's coming in. And he's going to reign when he gets there. That's fact. Man can't decide to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. Man can't do any of that because we're spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead means this. We can't do anything spiritual. The fact that we can do something physical, don't mistake that to think that means we can do something spiritual because we can't. Salvation is not by the will of man. Man cannot run after God. 
and get God to save us because of our efforts and our good works. Salvation can only come by the will of God Almighty. And what He wills is going to happen. He'll bring it to pass. Now that's good doctrine. That's a whole lot more good doctrine, isn't it? That's the the comfort and hope of every believer. Salvation is by God's will, not mine. My will changes from minute to minute. I was walking through the through the room today, and I had determined when I go through this room, I'm going to do this. And I got distracted and went this way. Never did what I was intended to do over here. That's my will. My will can be thwarted because a fly flies across the room or something. If it's God's will to save me, I can never be lost. Now that is good doctrine. <laughs> you can take that home with you, can't you? Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's exactly what he did. In heaven and earth and the seas and all deep places. You can't go to a place and escape God's sovereign power. If he, if he, has, if he has determined to save you, brother, you're going to be saved. He's going to bring you to, to faith in Christ. And that's cause for such joy and thanksgiving. God's will shall be done. All right, here's the sixth thing. The testimony of the Lord declares this. The salvation is by the grace of God. Back in, in 2 Timothy 1, in, in verse 1, Paul says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 9, he says, this salvation was given to us, given to us before the world began. It wasn't earned, it was given. Life wasn't earned because we decided to do something good, it was promised it was promised to us before we did, did anything good or evil. Now that's what grace is. Grace is God promising to give us something even though we don't deserve it and then Him giving it to us freely. That's grace. Salvation is by the sovereign, electing, redeeming, regenerating, keeping, abundant, glorifying grace of God. From beginning to ending, it's all of grace. And a sinner loves it that way. I mean, you can't tell a sinner too often about God's grace, can you? I mean, all through the scripture, just pick out as many examples as you want, but here's a few. What other explanation do you have for Noah? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't because he was any better than anybody else. Noah was delivered from drowning in that flood because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And buddy, he needed it too. Because right when he got off that ark, what did he do? He got drunk and lay naked in a tent. He needed grace. He wasn't destroyed when he was laying naked in the tent for the same reason he wasn't destroyed when the rain started falling. Grace. Grace. How else can you describe Lot? I challenge you to find one good decision Lot ever made in the account of his life. I, I can't find one. The only way Lot could be saved is by grace. Why wasn't Lot destroyed with everybody else in Sodom? I mean, the angels came and told him, we're going to destroy this city, and Lot lingered. Why did they just let him go? Grace. Lot wasn't destroyed when he conceived children through an incestuous relationship with his daughters. Grace is the only explanation. Peter called Lot 
just Lot. Justified Lot. Now the only possible explanation for that is God's grace. There can't be any, any other explanation for Saul of Tarsus. I mean the biggest enemy of the gospel on the face of the earth at that time. And God saved him. It has to be by grace. What about Peter? Peter had been with the Lord all this time. Peter who swore, I'm going to die with you. Denied the Lord three times. Why did the Lord pray for him instead of cast him out? He let Judas go. Why didn't he let Peter go? Grace. It's grace. What about David? Having his best friend killed? So he could, so he, because he committed adultery with his wife? Why wouldn't the Lord destroy him? He brought such shame on, on the name of the Lord. It's grace. I'll give you a better example than all of them. You and me. Our nature is so vile. And we've showed it in a worse way than all of them. We live in a time when we have the completed word of God. And we've known some of the best preachers to come across through this country in the last 200 years. And heard him preach. Heard him preach the gospel of Christ. And we still didn't believe. Huh? Yet one day, God saved us anyway. And the only explanation is grace. The only explanation. And that's the testimony of the Lord. And any message that's the gospel is going to fit into that pattern. It's going to fit it exactly. Now you might wonder, well, have I really believed this testimony? Have I? Have I really believed on Christ? Or is this just some kind of your mental agreement because this is just what I've always done? Or, or have I really believed the testimony of Christ? Let me quickly give you two things. If you believe the testimony of our Lord, this will two things will be true. Number one, you will be 100% committed to trusting Christ alone. Trust your soul to Him and Him alone. You're not trying to help Christ save you. You're committed to Him. Verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. If you know Christ, you believe his testimony, you've committed your soul to him. And number two, if you believe this testimony of our Lord, you believe on Christ. And you can't be deceived into trusting anything else. You can't be deceived into trusting a lie once you know Christ. If you know Christ, you believe Him. You're hanging on to Him for all your worth. Verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. See, Paul begins where he, where he started. It's all in Christ, isn't it? It's all in Christ. And that's, that's the testimony of our Lord. I pray God bless that to our hearts. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for this testimony of our Lord. That you would speak. That you would give us your, your word, the very word of God. as the testimony 
of how, who you are and how you save sinners. And Father, I beg of you that you'd cause your word as it's been preached to go forth in the power of your spirit, to reach the heart of each one here, to cause us to rest in Christ our Savior. Cause us to be so thankful to be found in him and him alone. Father, use this message for your glory, to reveal to us the glory of your dear Son. For it's in his precious name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come lead us in our closing hymn, if you will.